Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Having Joe House on Friday rolling again after he sucked with his picks for two straight weeks. He wasn't invited. Didn't get the invite this week. You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS, where right now, if you go to ZipRecruiter and search the Ringer, we have a bunch of Ringer jobs available. And you can apply if you want to work for the Ringer, if you want to be a podcast producer, a copy editor. There's a, I, I think we have like four or five jobs up there. Check it out. ZipRecruiter is the best. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. We're in the the home stretch of the SeatGeek playoffs right now. We have baseball and basketball and football and college football and hockey and even MLS. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is use promo code BS. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by a couple new podcasts, Dual Threat with Ryan Rosillo. I was on that podcast this week, talking about quarterbacks, if you missed it. I was also on the Rewatchables this week. We did True Romance. It was a barrel of laughs. Had a very good time. A lot of upsets. We ended up renaming a category, and we had the biggest upset in the history of the Deion Waiters Award. All of that happened. Check it out. True Romance. We also announced a new podcast today that I'll be talking about right after the uh, start with Pearl Jam. Halloween Unmasked. Details to come on that. Check out TheRinger.com for all of our NBA preview stuff that is still going as well as a really great oral history of rounders which we did a rewatchables of last week but alan siegel did an oral history of we got everybody matt damon ed norton brian koppelman david levine you name them they were in there check it out people loved it also on the video side kevin clark's worst peaks ever went up this week he was one and two last week our goal was to go zero and three every week with that I like the batch of picks he had this week. We also debuted uh, Roger Sherman's new video series, Master Sports, where he gives you a little class about things to understand about sports. Check it out. It's funny. All that stuff's on our on our uh, YouTube, on our Twitter. Check out the YouTube, youtube.com slash The Ringer. Twitter is at Ringer. Instagram. Yeah. We got it going. Coming up... Talk TV with Mike Shore and Dan Fogelman, who run two very successful shows. And I'm going to do some NFL picks and talk about our new podcast, Halloween Unmasked, coming up right now, right after this. Pearl Jam, here we go. All right, as I mentioned, Halloween Unmasked, we announced it yesterday. You can subscribe to it right now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. This is something that we thought about doing initially with another movie, and it fell through by no fault of our own. And we still like the idea, and then kind of gravitated toward Halloween, and here we are. The idea was a lot of these narrative podcasts that we hear are always true crime related or trying to break down some mystery or um, 
this person, nephew Kyle, disappeared after he got a tattoo. What happened? Find out in this new seven episode series what happened to nephew Kyle. It's a lot of that. And we wanted to do something that was more of a deep dive into something that culturally we felt mattered and something that mattered to a lot of us. Halloween came out when I was nine years old. I was terrified by the commercials. I don't even think I saw it for about a year, but it's been in my life for 40 years, literally because the 40 year anniversary is coming up and they are releasing the new Halloween movie from Blumhouse. But what's interesting about Halloween is it, it completely blew up the model for what a horror movie was. It launched a whole new era of slasher movies. And then over the next 40 years, as certain eras got burned out, new eras came in for better and worse. Um, Halloween was kind of always there representing whatever the new model was. So what we wanted to do is we, we, we found Amy Nicholson, who's terrific, who we always wanted to work for or work with. And, uh, and we created this podcast about basically that starts with the making of Halloween and what the movie scene was like in this, in the late seventies when this movie was made, how it was made, um, how it hit, what happened after it hit, what it led to, and then all the different incarnations and, um, all the eras that came after leading to what happened this decade with, um, yeah, this another Renaissance with horror movies with Blumhouse and A24 and, um, even Netflix and Halloween, it was time to bring it back. And Blumhouse did it this time. They've had the most success with horror movies of anyone. And 40 years later, still chugging along, Michael Myers. I saw the movie this week. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bad critic for this because I love every horror, Halloween movie, but I loved it. I think the thing that's changed for me is I now root for Myers over the people that we're supposed to be rooting for. I'm rooting for him to commit all the murders and pull off and do his magic and work his thing. He had some, some tricks this time around that I enjoyed, um, you know, 40 years, a lot of thinking and visualizing. I really felt he stepped up his game. His killing game was great, but uh, it's good. People will like it. It's good to have him back. I liked how they made the mask. It almost had like a little receding hairline in it. Like it, like hit the mask that age with him. It's a good one. So Halloween on Mass, subscribe now. And if you care about movies and you like deep dives and learning stuff and finding out things, and I, I think this is going to be really good and we're proud of it. It's something that we want to get into more and more. We're kind of picking our spots with it. But, um, you know, our podcast network has been really successful for us. And, and the natural evolution of that is to try to figure out different ways to tell stories. I thought we did that last year with uh, with Binge Mode with Mallory and Jason. They they figured out a way to kind of dive into that Game of Thrones library in a new way. So we're going to keep doing that. And as I tweeted this week, we want to keep growing our podcast. We are always looking for producers and people who are good at this stuff. Um, and that goes for the whole website, but especially with podcasts, it's been, you know, it's a lot of people got into the medium at the same time and it's been hard to find, find people. Um, but now it seems like, uh, you know, as we have more of a plan, as we keep going with this stuff, we, we know what we need. So uh, check it out. Check out the ZipRecruiter ads we put out because that, that also helps too. Halloween Unmasked, subscribe now. All right, let's do some NFL picks really quick. Um, I always really, really like week three perennially. I think week three is good because you have a couple of benefits. One is you've seen two weeks of games. And if you actually watch the games, you're going to have real opinions. I was able to watch football 
from start to finish week one and week two and saw a lot and learned a lot and feel like I have a pretty good grasp of what's going on right now. That's one thing. The other thing is the overreactions are in full swing. Week three is really the week when the overreactions go off the grid. And I think the thing for me that, I, that I've learned over the years, think about what the line should be. And if the, the actual line is two or three points off, either stay away or jump on it. And I think a good example, I like the Chiefs. I bet on them the first two weeks. I won on their money line last week. I'm just a fan. Here's the problem. Now people enjoy the Mahomes era so much. And it's just, it's been a whole week of Mahomes mania. We did it on Ryan Russell's podcast. Everyone's going nuts about Mahomes. Now they are favored by six and a half at home against the Niners. The problem is their defense is terrible. And they, you know, if you really watch that Steelers game closely, there were guys open all over the field the entire game for the Steelers. And it, it came down to one of those things where the Chiefs basically just outscored them. I never like to to jump on a team um, that's like six, seven points or higher that can't finish the game. And I think even, even if they're up 14 against the Niners, um, you know, or, th or th let's say they're up 13 with, against the Niners with two minutes left. Jimmy can still come down and get a, t get a t touchdown. So what I'm thinking is I like the Niners a little bit. They are right now plus 240 on the money line. I also like the Indianapolis Colts a little bit. They're getting six and a half in Philly. And if you watch the Colts closely... Now, I watched the Colts-Bengals game in week one, and the Bengals really had to struggle to, to pull that one out. And it, it was hard to tell whether it was more of a reflection of the Bengals aren't that good or the Bengals actually are good and the Colts are a little better than we thought. I didn't think the Colts were going to be good. But then the next week rolls around. Everybody loves the Redskins coming off week one because they killed Arizona. Well, as it turns out, Arizona's terrible. Everybody's going to kill them. And then we kind of overrated Washington and we kind of underrated Indianapolis. That line was too high. That line was six. And it in retrospect, probably should have been three and a half. So you're getting an extra two and a half points there. The Colts look pretty good. Luck looks really good. Um, their running backs are not very good, but they're able to move the ball because he's just really good. And they can do enough on both ends of the ball to kind of hang around and he can make a couple plays. I think their coach might be good. I think the Frank Reich era, we, we were waiting for it for a long time. I was dubious. I didn't know if he was just an offensive coordinator only, but um, I think he might be good. And here, here's why that's important. He used to coach for the Eagles. He used to coach their offense. I hate going against a coach who just coached for the other team. This is the biggest reason to stay away from the Pats this week, ironically. So the Colts are six and a half in Philly. Here's the problem with Philly. Um, Ajay is already hurt. They're relying a lot on Corey Clement. Their receivers, they're really like not explosive. You watch them and I, it's weird, but they even miss Torrey Smith. Jeffrey's been banged up. Um, I think it's hard for them to move the ball right now. I don't think that's going to be the case in November, by the way. I'm just talking about right now in September. I, I worry about uh, 
their ability to extend leads, about to make big plays. It's just a lot. And now you have Wentz coming back too. And he's going to be a little bit rusty. But this line just seems high to me. And I do think there's a chance the Colts could catch them by surprise. I would not be shocked. So what I'm going to do, I'm putting a very small, this is like a one-fourth of a unit. I'm going to put on a Colts plus 25, Niners plus 240 parlay. They both have to win. 10 to 1 odds. 10 to 1. Colts and Niners win. All right. So that's my little appetizer. That's just like, that's a palate cleanser. All right. For the main bets, apologies to a couple teams because I came damn close to taking you and I just couldn't pull the trigger. Cincinnati plus three in Carolina. I really like the Cincinnati team. I don't, I don't think they're one of the best four teams, but I think they're in the top eight. Watch Carolina pretty closely last week against Atlanta. They were never, I know the score, they only lost by seven. I never felt like they were going to win that game. And it, they're just banged up on both sides. Um, and I they, I still, am not, I'm not counting them out. I don't like them in September. I, as I think the season goes along, I think they're going to get better and better. But uh, I, I I just don't like the spot they're in right now. And I like the spot since he's in right now. The problem is Joe Mixon got hurt. And if Mixon was healthy, I would be jumping all over Cincinnati. I really thought he is a difference maker for them. As it is, they can still throw the ball. I've never been a giant Giovanni Bernard fan, but I'm staying away from that one. I, the point, the plus three looks enticing. If it was three and a half, I might even talk me into it, but I'm, I'm staying away from that one. Another one that I like that I'm not going to bet on is Denver and Baltimore. And the reason is I just don't like betting against Baltimore at home. I, they've had too much success there, but this line seems too high to me. I've watched both of these teams. Denver's plus five and a half in Baltimore. And I just think they're the same team. I don't really feel like there's much difference between them. I don't understand why this line isn't three. And it just feels like you're getting two to two and a half extra points for no reason at all. Maybe because it's in Baltimore at the same time. Uh, I just don't like betting against Baltimore. There's certain things in, in Baltimore, unless they're really in a tailspin and it doesn't seem like they're totally in a tailspin yet. So that's another one that I checked out. The third one, God damn, the Chargers line is too high. It's plus seven for the Chargers against the Rams in LA. The Chargers are legit talented. They could absolutely win this game. They're going to be able to move the ball. Nobody's moved the ball against the Rams in the two, in the first two weeks, but it's more because of the teams they played than anything. They played the Raiders and the Cardinals. Those are two of the five worst teams in the league. There's huge overreaction stuff going on with the Rams. They have the best Super Bowl odds. And this has all the makings of the Chargers either win in LA or come damn close and Anthony Lynn screws it up or a field goal kicker misses a field goal kicker. All the terrible things that usually happen in the Chargers. With all of that said, I, I'm actually scared to go against the Rams. I I, th I do think there's a chance they could go start the season like 10-0. and 0. So even though there's an overreaction, and it's stupid that the line's this high. I'm also like 25% of me wonders if they actually might be better than the overreaction. And they might be a juggernaut. I mean, they, they're, they're just killing teams. I Basically, I need to see them play a good team. My guess is that they're going to do really well. That's my guess. Um, I am afraid of the Chargers as a live 
dog. I the Rams are just dying to be thrown in a tease here. They're begging you. They're like, come on, minus seven. We're right here. Throw us in a tease. I'm just scared of the of the Chargers. They have so many, so many guys who can make big plays. I like that Mike Williams. I think he's actually been looking pretty good, but um I'm staying away. No, no offense, Rams. Hope you don't take that one personally. All right, here we go. Here are the big ones. First one is the Saints plus three in Atlanta. I like this one for a couple of reasons. First of all, Saints indoors. I like when they play indoors because um, I just think Breeze in his career and the stats back it up is a different guy indoors versus outdoors. I like that they didn't look good last week. So you have the first week where Fitzpatrick and the passing game just completely takes them by surprise. They still put up 40 points. Then you have the second week where they barely, barely, barely squeeze it out against uh, against Cleveland. And they look terrible. And they and at one point it's like 12 to three in the fourth quarter. And then the Browns kicker misses a kick. Like it, it's that game's a disaster. And now we come out of that going, oh, the Saints, are we sure they're good? All that stuff. My counter is that I actually think the Browns are good. And if they had played Baker in week two, probably would have won that game. But their defense, you know, Miles Garrett might might be the best defensive player I've seen this year other than Khalil Mack. I think those are the two most dominant guys I've seen this year. And uh, and actually, you make the case the Browns just have a lot of talent. So now you go backwards and you go, wow, they get – Taken by surprise in week one by Fitzpatrick. That's fine. They still scored 40 points. They just, they had the wrong defense out there. They got beaten by some big plays. And it was just one of those games that snowballed away from them. Then game two, Cleveland. Oh yeah, we'll take care of business. Cleveland. Cleveland turns out to be better than anyone thinks. And they squeezed that one out. And now they're kind of undervalued. And Atlanta, like, I thought Jones, I don't think I'm alone here. I thought he was the best player in their defense. And to lose him, especially when he's the guy who's going to be chasing around Kamara in the backfield. I don't love this Atlanta team. I don't think they're very well coached. I Just something still seems funky with them. They, you never watch them and go, oh man, they're running on all cylinders. I think the Saints win this game. But I'm grabbing the plus three just to be safe. Saints plus three. That's my first pick. My second pick. So the Vikings, the Vikings right now are minus 16 and a half against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I thought about throwing this in teases. I thought about 10 point teases, seven point teases, putting them with like the Pats or the Rams. I, I thought of, Every sort of incarnation. And then I realized something. Actually, I'm realizing right now. Why not just bet the Vikings straight up? What are the odds the Bills are going to score 10 points in this game? When I, I was in a gambling pool called the ZFL, and I've been in it for years and years, and we used to have this thing called the Oaks game, where my buddy Gus's friend, John Oaks, he would look at a game and you go, how many points are they going to score? And if you think of it that way, that line becomes a lot less daunting. So minus 16 and a half. Oh my God, that's so many points. Jesus, how are they going to cover that? Well, how many, how many points are the Bills going to score in Minnesota? 10? 7? 3? 
Vikings just need to get to 28 points. They cover. Uh, the Bills have a banged up secondary. That's not good. This feels like a pilot on Kirk Cousins doing the you like that stuff. They get Thielen going. Stefan Diggs makes a big play and they just run over him. I'm not worried about the 16 and a half. That game is seven, nothing three minutes into the game and you're feeling great. So that's my second pick Vikings minus 16 and a half. I actually think that line should be like minus 20 to be honest. Third one, third and last watch Pittsburgh very carefully for two straight weeks. There is something really wrong with that team. And there's some locker room stuff that came out this week. And a lot of people are wondering if Tomlin lost control of the team. The Le'Veon Bell thing's weird. Battles with him. Antonio Brown doesn't show up to practice. You, you've read about all this stuff all week. It's obscuring the fact that their defense stinks. Their defense stinks. That is not a good defense. And a lot of people I've heard have been saying, well, you know, people, it's underrated how big of an impact Ryan Shazier has not being there anymore. Since he's been hurt, they're not the same defense. I don't think Ryan Shazier could have saved this defense. They're too slow. They don't, they don't have any team speed. Shazier was the best player in the defense and that kills them obviously. But even if he was there, it's still a C plus defense. They stink. So they're going to have to win this game with offense. But then you watch the offense. James Conner's fine. Solid backup. Brown's been good. They don't really have that third explosive receiver like they used to have. The Chiefs have the worst defense in the league um, of any good team. And we're still able to get a couple stops. I think the Steelers were the first team ever that uh, scored 37 points. Or maybe the first team in like 50 years that scored 37 points, didn't turn over the ball, and lost at home. They're not good. At some point, we're going to come to grips with the fact that this Steelers team is actually not good. Um, it might even be this week. The counter then would be, well, Cleveland's better than we thought. Tie in week one. KC is one of the best four teams in the in the league and squeaked it out by five. So actually, Pittsburgh is a little underrated right now. I don't see it. I watch them. I think Tampa's good. The thing is, everybody's talking about Fitzpatrick and you have this defensive line, the front seven, like they get a lot of pressure. And it's a team that right now is is succeeding without a running game, which I expect to change this week. But uh, I just like them on a Monday night. I feel like there's a lot of energy around this Tampa team right now. And it's a team that hasn't really been that much fun for a while. They last week beating Philly, the Super Bowl champs at home. Now you're on a Monday night. The Pittsburgh stuff... It's just another day for everybody to talk about how effed up their team is. And my my feeling on this stuff with sports is when there's real fragility in place and something's wrong, the worst thing you can do is shine a giant spotlight on it and put those people in a position to kind of either make it or break it. And that's where the Steelers are right now. And it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, you think about like Kobe's Laker teams near the near the end when they go into that Dallas playoff series and they just they just completely fall apart. I think the signs are there for Pittsburgh. Now I'm sure somebody could just cut the audio out of this and and shove it in my face and have it come back to haunt me. But here's the thing. They might win. I might be wrong. What I don't understand is why Tampa's an underdog in this game. Tampa's getting a point and a half. 
from I watched the first two weeks, worst case scenario, those two teams are even and you're supposed to get three points when you're at home. Now people say, well, it's a desperation game for Pittsburgh. It kind of is, but it's not really. They're 0-1-1. This isn't like, oh, our season's screwed if we don't win this game. I just think the line should be tampered by three. And anytime something is four or more points off, I'm all in. So that's that's uh, that's my second big pick. I got Tampa and I got New Orleans. Now quickly about the Patriots. The Pats are dying to be teased. Minus seven in Detroit, Matt Patricia, the whole thing. Couple things worry me about this game. One, the Josh Gordon thing, which I talked about on Marcelo's podcast, just felt desperate to me. It really did. It's a guy who hasn't played football in five years and a team that was so hopeless with receivers getting open last week that they just said F it and <laughs> sent a fifth round pick to Cleveland, gave Josh Gordon the locker next to Tom Brady, and they're taking the Hail Mary chance that they can just keep his head on straight for even five or six weeks just to stem the tide until Edelman gets back and and Sony Michelle is feeling good and all that stuff. But uh it it just it reeked of desperation, which scares me. Another thing that scares me, Patricia worked for this team for 10 years. And if, I mean, nephew Kyle, you've been at the ringer for a year and a half? Yeah, year and a half. You know some of our weaknesses at this point. Sure. Imagine if this was football and now you could compete against us with those weaknesses. Oh, yeah. Like, Game, you plans. Know, you Game know, plans for days, yeah. Jim Cunningham, what are Jim Cunningham's weaknesses? You want me to say him? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I... He at least will have an idea of how to slow the pats down, especially when they don't have a deep threat right now, when it's pretty easy to double Gronk and take him out of the game at this point. And uh, and they haven't run the ball effectively at all. They have a real problem at left tackle. Waddle got just torched in that Jacksonville game. So if he has an IQ of over 80, which allegedly he has, I don't understand how he wouldn't at least be able to slow the pats down. Uh, on the other side, great receivers – fantastic uh, group of dudes who make plays. And that's always perennially been an issue with the Pats. These teams that just have a bunch of bunch of receivers, all who can do stuff. And, you know, if you watched Eric Rowe last week, it's not like the Pats are deep at cornerback. So I just worry about this game. I, I, I fully expect the Pats to win. I don't want to sweat it out. I don't want to have Stafford up 14 to nothing in the first quarter. And I, and I just think it's a stay away. So I'm staying away from that one. I did take a long look at it. I'm going to end this before I end up doing a Vikings-Rams tease because I, I just keep staring at that. The Rams might be really good. By Sunday, I might be doing that one as a tease, actually. So there we go. The big picks, Saints plus three, Bucks plus one and a half, a little money line parlay for a tiny little taste on Colts, in uh in the Niners, ten to one. And then the Vikings minus sixteen and a half. So those are my picks. Enjoy them. I've done pretty well this year. I'm in I'm in the uh I'm in the black so far. I don't know. Either believe me or don't believe me. Coming up, Mike Shore and Dan Fogelman. But first, turn your dream into reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier to than ever. To launch your passion project, whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more, Squarespace is the tool for you. 
with beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks. You can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Their powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online. Analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything optimized for mobile, right out of the box. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Look, buying domains is simple. You'll get the help you need. With Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support, they empower millions of people, designers, lawyers, artists, gamers, restaurants, gyms, to turn great ideas into something real. Head to squarespace.com slash BS. For a free trial, when you're ready to launch, use the offer code BS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That is squarespace.com slash BS. Offer code BS. So I've known Mike Sure for a few years. Red Sox fan, obviously. We all stick together, especially out here. See a hat and you just like, it's it's like seeing somebody, it's like the benevolent version of, of a gang member seeing another gang member. It's like, oh, you're in the Red Sox gang? Dan Fogelman worked for Jimmy Kimmel's show 20 years ago and has been friends with Jimmy forever. We went to dinner a couple of years ago and just got to know each other a little bit. Two really interesting guys, two guys that have been super creative in the TV industry for different reasons and have had different types of successes, kind of the two paths for success on television. And we taped this interview last week right after um, Dan had gotten back from Toronto where he was very surprised by the criticism for life itself, this new movie that he has coming out this weekend, actually. Um, we talked about that near the end, but for the most part, just talking about what is it like to run a TV show? Here we go, Mike and Dan. All right, Dan Fogelman and Mike Scherer here. We are taping this in sometime mid-September. I don't know when it's running, but this is a special showrunner pod. I know both of you. I'm fascinated by your worlds. You run TV shows. Um, things are happening. You just kind of, did you ever expect to Is actually- Is that the prep that you did for this podcast? That's it. Things things are that's happening. all I've done. Um, <laughs> did you expect to run a TV show? We'll start with you, Mike. You run The Good Place right now. Yeah. Um, was this like the arc for you? It's sort of the arc for everybody who's a TV writer at some level. I mean, I started at SNL. And I was there for six years. And when you're at SNL, all you think about is SNL. Like there's no, it, you do what's right in front of you every week and then you collapse and then you wake up and you do it again. So I, I don't know that I ever, I didn't really start thinking about running a show until I wrote on a show, which was The Office was my first show yeah. out here. And then it's, it's, like a, it's like anything else. Like when you see whether you have an aptitude for something that determines whether you get excited about it or you bail on it. And I felt like, I had an aptitude for the production end of things, uh, managing like to, people, all that. Yeah, shit. well, just like like the the skills of that are necessary to be a showrunner are very different from the skills necessary to be a writer. Some people have one or the other. Some people have both. Some people have neither. It, there are few people who have, in general, there are few comedy writers, at least I'll say, who have the skills necessary to be a showrunner only because there's skills related to just management and responsibility, which don't usually go hand in hand with like especially like at SNL, like no one, no one at SNL has those skills because everyone's like a 23 year old idiot. Right. Uh, so, but I, I'm like a, I'm a sort of, I've always been like a, I'm the Alex Smith of, of writers. Like I've always been like a game manager. Like I- you Good I, winning percentage. Yeah. Like I'll just get the job done. Uh, I might not win you the Super Bowl, but I'll get the job done. And so when I, like when I realized that I had those skills and I sort of started thinking like, well, I guess this could be in the cards for me if, if things break my way. And then Greg Daniels asked me to develop a show with him, which was Parks and Rec. And 
that sort of like that I just did what he did. Like he he'd been doing it for at that point, I don't know, 15 years or something. And so I just sort of like watched him and just copied him. How'd you stumble into it, Dan? Uh, in a very weird way for me. I, I mean, I was uh, I had no training and I had never been on a television show. So I had written a screenplay that got attention, but I'd been working odd jobs. I, I That's how I met you, Bill. I, I mean, I was like Jimmy Kimmel's like production assistant on The Man Show. I was Howie Mandel's assistant on when he had a daytime talk show. And then I- Oh my God, don't touch him. Don't touch Howie <laughs> Mandel. The best guy, by the way. Wonderful guy. Just can't, you hate, does can't, he have the handy way? Yeah. Hand, yeah. 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 Uh, and then I wrote a screenplay and then it got, it was one of those ones that never got made, but it got attention. What was the screenplay? It was about my bar mitzvah. I, <laughs> I, I wrote, I wrote like a Wonder Years style screenplay looking a guy looking back on the craziness of his family and it was bar mitzvah i figured maybe a jewish agent would identify with it and i did yeah. an agent or something but i'd never written a screenplay before my buddy brought home final draft from his office i was like i'm gonna try and the next thing i knew i was make like i had sold a tv pilot and i made a show for the wb network it was called like family they changed the entire show i had no idea how to say no to what year was this <sighs> like 2005 i was like 26 years old like family like family holly robinson pete oh wow um nice was the main name in it. friend of magic johnson friend of magic oh, was johnson that? she once introduced me to sugar ray leonard one of my name. guilty pleasures is magic johnson's twitter feed during the summer when he goes on vacation <laughs> to italy for like four weeks and holly robinson pizza was oh really in there. Yeah, I once i'm played, sorry I, I once played ball with magic johnson he showed up at uh, the gym the old sports club la and i was down there like just shooting shooting around with like two other kids and he walked onto the court and this like this weird guy who like seemed a little off goes up to him and he says hey magic you want to play two on two and magic goes no but i'll run fives and all of a sudden the gym filled up <laughs> <laughs> and magic magic ran five on five for like two hours with everybody Whoa. and it was amazing. yeah he would he would do this until like he turned 50. Yeah. why does he why did he not want to play two on two i don't know i don't he know he likes to run he likes to exercise the exercise oh, right. and i remember there was one point and so now all the guys like the real players are showing up to the gym people are calling people everybody's showing up and there's one guy running down the court i remember it so vividly and uh <laughs> magic he's going yo yo he's calling for the ball and magic just stops dribbling he puts the ball under his arm he goes i see you man I see you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, That's so hilarious. I fell into TV and then, you know, that show got canceled pretty quickly. And uh, I started writing pilots, none of which got made. All of them were well liked. And then eventually uh, the ones started getting made. And then I was a showrunner and I had never worked on a television series before. Which was the one that got made? The first one that got made was a show called The Neighbors on ABC. It was this weird alien family comedy that was like polarizing and weird and lasted for, we did like 44 episodes actually. Who was in that one? That I vaguely one, remember Jamie, it. Jamie Gertz was in it. Um, oh yeah, now the Atlanta Hawks, um, <laughs> one she, of the owners. She was the main name in it. Um, it was like this absurdist uh, family comedy. It was funny. It was, it was funny. funny. It was funny. I, that was a weird experience we were t talking before about like going to those upfronts for the first time because I had never done any of this. Sure. And I was I made this like really weird absurdist thing. I thought it was really weird and I, I didn't know what people would make of it, but I thought I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember sitting down for the first interview and they were like, what do you think about the critical blowback to the show? And I was like, there's critical blowback. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then we got there and they'd made the stupidest trailer of all time. And they like all the bad key art, you know, and you're sure. like, oh God, we're done. They're going to crush this. They're going to say it's stupid and not purposefully. So, so, so I kind of fell into it that way. What, when when the first season of Parks and Rec, which has now become 
kind of kind of part of the whole arc of that thing yeah. where it was like you couldn't figure out what the show was. How many did you do? 13? Six. Six. Yeah. And it was, you couldn't get it. People weren't that nice, but they also were kind of trusting and understanding and gave kept giving it. More the former than the latter. I really? Mean, yeah, because what happened, it's, it's a boring story. I'll condense it as much no, as I No, it's important. Can, but, but basically like, so Greg and I had come from the office and we, they, NBC said to Greg, like, do whatever you want. Like 13 episodes on the air guaranteed. So Greg and I developed the show together, but we really wanted Amy Poehler to do it. And she then got pregnant and she was due to give birth the day that basically literally the day we were going to start shooting. So it was like, oh shoot. But we kind of thought about it and we're like, we'd rather wait and have Amy Poehler than have someone that we don't think is as good. So mm. we voluntarily gave up seven of the episodes. Wow. Uh, and it was supposed to be 13 and it was going to debut after the Super Bowl. <laughs> that was the plan. Mm. And we gave up the Super Bowl slot and seven of the 13 episodes because it was like Polder's the one to make this work. And so we started shooting. She started shooting like a hero, like two months after she gave birth, not feeling her yeah. best. Um, and we and so she like it was hard on her, but she was a champion. But we were like you know, experimenting like every new show. We were sort of like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. We only had six episodes to experiment. We figured it out by the sixth episode, but the amount of attention, because The Office was such a big deal at the time, the amount of attention and scrutiny on the first, on like the pilot and the first five was so intense that there was a lot. And it also, it had been marketed originally as a spinoff to The Office, but it never really was. And so people were confused. They were like, and then Rashida Jones was in it and she had been on The Office. So people yeah. were like, I don't understand. Why did she change her name? Why did Karen <laughs> change her name? So, um, so anyway, it, it was like, it was just very intense. I'm not complaining. It all worked out. Everything is fine. But it was just a very weird, intense time where we were doing the natural sort of trial and error thing that you have to do at the beginning of a show to like figure out what your show is about. And there was just a weird confluence of circumstances that made it kind of stressed. It's the most stressed I've ever been in my life, I would say. Do you feel like the network as it's going starts acting differently? Like, can you, are you like trying to interpret emails and phone calls and all that uh, shit? Yeah, I mean, you're always sort of trying to read tea leaves and stuff, I guess. I mean, at the time it was so hectic, like, no one had any idea what the hell was going on, really. Um, and like there there was just a lot of like we we made like several mistakes. Like uh I at least I won't speak for Greg, but I I own a lot of the mistakes that we made as my own. And one of them was we finished an early, early, early cut of the pilot. It was like 29 minutes long. And which is, you know, eight minutes longer than it's gonna be. And we were like, we, we couldn't figure out whether it was good or bad or what, what should we should cut or whatever. So we decided to test it. Mm. And at the time, Deadline Hollywood, the website was in this huge fight with NBC or they just hated NBC. Nikki Fink like hated Ben Silverman. Yeah. And so someone at NBC leaked the testing results to Deadline and they just printed them. Uh, and it's like, it's... Polar said it best. She was like, it's like someone reading your diary. It's just yeah. like, like this isn't for public consumption. And it was like 29 minutes and none, none of, it wasn't even color corrected. It was like, we were just trying to get a sense of like what audiences liked and didn't. And then they literally just printed it. And they didn't even call Greg or me or Amy or anybody for like a comment. They just printed it. And it really sucked. And so it was like, 
but then also we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't have tested it because that was maybe that was dumb. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, it just like a bunch of like crummy things happened. And again, you have to say like, it's crummy in the world of like television production. It's not real world crummy. Yeah. But it was just very like weird and intense and free and freaky. And by the, but by the time we had finished those six episodes, we had done a lot of like thinking and planning and talking and Amy had like helped us in immensely by figuring out she was the first one to kind of figure out who Leslie Nope was and then we adapted and by the time that sixth episode aired by the time we did the sixth episode I would say wrote it and produced it we were like okay this is what the show is and for and like hung on by a thread and then got to do a new season and by the time we came back to do season two and knew what the show was everything worked out and how many episodes was that second season 24 Oh, Jesus. Uh, we, yeah, it was weird. We did six and then 24 and then 16 because we got moved to mid-season and we thought we were getting canceled. And then 22, I think. In a weird way, it kind of worked out perfectly because you lowered the expectations. Oh, my God. Absolutely. And then it's like, hey, you know what's actually good? Yes. Is, and then the you're in that people, whole vortex. Audiences and critics love narratives. And yeah. the narrative, it, it followed exactly the narrative of The Office, which was... The first six people were really down on and then we hung on by a thread and then got to do a new season. And by then, like Carell was like a fully formed genius. Yeah. And Greg had figured out the show. And so people love the comeback story. It's like a, mm. it was a classic comeback story. And then totally accidentally and for totally different reasons, Parks and Rec followed the same exact trajectory. I think it really helped. And Get Up, I think, will be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was This Is Us when... when uh when you were making it, when did you become convinced that this had a chance to be like a monster hit? Uh, you know, I didn't. I mean, I I had uh, I had just I had written the pilot um, on spec, like meaning like just without having set it up, and then I had a script, and I, get, I sent it around town, and and it wound up going to NBC, and then we made it. We were we were making it normally. Pilots get made at a specific time. We made it in a really weird time of year. So after it was made and finished and edited and completed. We uh we sat on it for like eight months waiting. Did you to, really waiting to hear if it was going to get picked up or not? Eight months I, or seven months. What we, do all the actors? I always wonder sorry, what the that actors might be an exaggeration. That. I feel like we finished it in January and, and May or June. So six so months. Six yeah. months. Yeah. So um, did you shoot it in like December? Yeah, like November, oh. December, January. Um, and then all those actors just have to kind of keep their fingers to, crossed. They have to keep their fingers crossed. We kind of suspected. We thought we had something. We knew the network liked it, um, but we didn't know. And then, then you found you find, you find out officially. What was the premise in your head? What did you think was the deficiency out there in TV land that you could fill? I wish I was thinking of something. I just wrote this thing. <laughs> I mean, I just sat down and at a you know, I I sat down and I wrote something. I was originally writing it as a film. And, yeah, uh, I thought it would be a film about all these interconnected characters, or seemingly interconnected characters, and the reveal at the end of the film would be they're all related. And then, uh, but I, I put it away. It wasn't working. It felt weird. It didn't feel like a movie. Picked it back up, finished it as a show. And then we just, yeah, we made it. We sat on it. I remember we started screening it for people like I do. And I had, I had had a couple of buddies over for football. My wife was out of town. We watched football. And I was like, guys, you want to see this thing I made? I think it's kind of cool. And I played it for a bunch of my buddies and it ended. And like my buddies were like stepping out of the room crying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember it very vividly. Like one guy walked into the kitchen, like none of us, nobody was looking anybody in the eye. It was like three guys. I was like, what the fuck is going on? That, e that either means it's amazing or they're like, how do we tell this guy? Yeah, I they're know. Distraught. Yeah. They're distraught <laughs> by how bad it, it was. was. And it was literally my buddy, my buddy, Josh and Alex. I remember my buddy Josh going like, 
I was like, you, you liked it? He was like, yeah, Dan, it's really good. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what is happening? So you started getting that sense and then, then it was like, uh, then it just blew up. It blew up like instantly and quickly. And we never. It was like the first episode on, it was a monster. The, the fucking, the trailer, uh, the trailer got released. They put like imagery to this Jason Mraz song in, in a very sweet trailer. And my phone started blowing up and they were like, the trailer has gone completely viral it's 18 gazillion people are watching this trailer. And so I was like, it didn't make quite sense for the genre of the, of the, well, we it did doing. have Milo Ventimiglia's bare his ass. ass. That, that was mm, a big thing. Thank I God. genuinely, so I found out after the fact and I was convinced cause I, I had so much failure of like medium sized failure, like getting shows on television for a season or two and then getting your heart broken or pilots that you love that didn't get made. And then I found out that, um, the boy band, the, uh, the boy band, the popular boy band, geez. Uh, one, one Direction. One direction. One direction. Oh, yeah. They have a documentary called This Is Us about them. <laughs> and I was oh. like, that's what's going on. I was, I was genuinely convinced. I'm like, that's what's going on here. Like tweens are watching this trailer because they think it has something to do with One Direction. Mm. And that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a false positive. It's not, people aren't really paying attention. And then, but no, it just blew up. I remember sometimes you just kind of know. I remember seeing the trailer and I yeah. was with my wife, whatever the long commercial yeah. they ran. Yeah. And my wife was like all the way in. I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be a yeah. monster!" Yeah, like it yeah. just—it's it like every all the every things. like three years, there's a show like that. Like Modern Family was like that, yeah. where just they played the entire pilot at the upfront for the audience. Like that's an incredibly confident move. Did like, they really? Yeah, you don't do that unless it's like every, at every step, everything just clicked. The cast clicked. The direction clicked. The testing is through the roof. Like every like three years there's a show where it's a hit before it goes on tv and everybody knows it and life life itself yeah. like <laughs> this is us was that show that year just everyone knew it was like okay this is a big deal this is going to anchor our, like i remember people at nbc just saying like they were talking about it like it was already the syndication right. yeah, yeah. Right. yeah but there's so many ways i mean i think back on it now and i was fiercely protective because i had been through the ringer so many times and I mean, there was a point where I kind of liked this title, the, this is us. And I, I had this idea for it and they kept saying, no, that's not going to be the title. <laughs> and, uh, so I put it like an opening graphic that descended into this is us to start it. I put it in the cut and I figured if it plays really well, they'll start getting used to it, you know, but they were, I mean, to the last day they were, they were saying, people were saying like, we really like the title. Like things are just getting started. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, guys, that doesn't sound real. I don't think that sounds like the title of a television show. And uh, but so, and there were so many things with the casting and the things. So you have to be fiercely protective, or like like one thing goes awry and you just one mistake and it's hard. It does seem like it's almost like a sports season. You need like twelve things to go right. Yeah, yeah. But the biggest thing, other than the showrunners, you have to get lucky with the talent. Yeah, it's all the cast. Like Sterling K. Brown, I don't even know who else would be in that part. Sterling you K caught him at the perfect point in his career and I hadn't really discovered him yet. Yeah. And then he becomes a monster. Sterling K. Brown was one that I thought I would have a hard time getting cast the way I was wanting to cast, which was just no process, whoever I wanted. My friends who directed the pilot had directed a film that he had a small part in. And they kept saying, you got to check out this guy, Sterling K. Brown. I think he's the guy. And he read it. And he was awesome. I'm like, guys, I can't I just get this guy the part. They're not going to accept it. And I went to the studio. And I was like, we like this actor, Sterling K. Brown. And they're like, cast him. And I was like, what, really? And they were like, he has this thing coming out where he's playing Darden in this OJ thing. It hadn't been out yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I was like, he was like, he's going to blow up. And I was like, oh, great. And it was, it was just a magical, lucky coincidence. You this, had Polar, yeah. which was a lot easier to predict. Because yeah. she was one of the best females in the history of SNL. Yeah, she was clearly one of the best, one of the best cast first. members straight up. Sitcom. Like, 
Um, but yeah, and then we got lucky with everybody else a little bit. Like Nick Offerman was mm. like, I, I think I may have told the story last time I was here, but Nick Offerman, I had written an episode of The Office like three years earlier uh, where Michael went to a meeting in New York of like the other branch managers, like the branch manager from Buffalo and Rochester or wherever. And the point was supposed to be that they were more incompetent than Michael Scott. And it was like our attempt to say like how, like people kept saying like, how does Michael Scott have a job? And so we were like, what if we show that the other branch managers are dumber than he is? So we had this one big meaty role of this truly, a true idiot and Offerman auditioned. And I was like, that guy's amazing, cast him. And he couldn't, we got the word back that he couldn't do because he was the same week as Will and Grace. He had already been, he had booked like a guest spot on Will and Grace. And our part was like really meaty. It was like the gigantic, funny part. And we were kind of like, come on, dude. Like I didn't know him. So in my head, I was like, come on, man, don't do Will and Grace, do our show. Our show is cooler. And then I was like, someone was like, oh, he's married to Megan. <laughs> like, oh, no. like, All right, fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so, but I wrote his name down on a post-it note. I wrote Nick Offerman and just stuck it to my computer. And I thought like if some, I write some other episode in the future, I should cast that guy. And then when three years later or whatever, when we were auditioning people for the pilot, I was like, oh, that guy, that guy's funny. Let's get that guy in. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I mean, that's just crazy luck. You can't, some of it is, some of it is like timing, which is what Sterling was, right? It's like, you see a guy and then everyone just lines up behind him because he, it's like the exact right moment. And sometimes it's just blind luck that you just, see someone or you remember someone or whatever, it just works out. And that happened, I mean, that happened so many times with Parks and Rec, that happened with Pratt. Um, Pratt was because my wife had written on the OC and he was on the OC season four and he was really funny. And she was like, you, you should audition that guy. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy, that guy's hilarious. And he just happened to be free. Like whatever show he was on at the time it ended and he wasn't, he hadn't been in Guardians of the Galaxy yet. So he was like reading. So like we have all these auditions of like Aziz and actually Aziz didn't audition, but Pratt and Offerman and all these people just like reading for the part. Your wife writing on the OC is the single most impressive thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, she was there for many years? from the beginning. She was there. She came in like four episodes into season one or something. Like she was there the whole time. It's having a little renaissance right now. As it should. Because it's on the Netflix, Hulu, oh, Amazon right. circuit. Yeah. And like my daughter has banged out, I think the first like 12, but it's. So yeah. it kind of holds up. Still. Yeah. Well, it's it's like a classic teen show. Like, and everyone. It should exist. Whatever the show is, it should always be that genre should exist every year. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's like in the OC or the Hamptons or. Yeah. The poor kid in the rich community just. Well, I'm you always know, in. Josh Schwartz is from Newport, Rhode Island. He's from Rhode Island. Yeah. And the Newport in the show originally was in Rhode Island. And then when McGee signed on, I believe they were like, well, He's I'll like, do we're it. Moving, moving into Southern California, <laughs> which is a great idea. Like it, yeah. it was more, it was more, that show debuted over the summer, if I remember correctly. And like oh, yeah. summer in SoCal was like, that's the perfect, it was like the perfect uh, zeitgeisty thing for mm. some reason. That was another one of those where you saw the trailer and you're like, all right. Yeah. It was the welcome. No way. There was the line, right? Welcome to the OC bitch. Welcome yeah, to yep. the OC bitch. Yep. Yeah. Quick break to talk about the Starbucks Double Shot. Starts with bold Starbucks coffee blended with milk for a smooth, creamy, delicious flavor. Enhanced with ginseng, guarana, and B vitamins. Available in six delicious flavors. Mocha, vanilla, hazelnut, white chocolate, coffee, and Mexican mocha. An energy coffee drink that not only tastes great, but gives you the energy to go from point A to point done. Thank God we have these in the office. It's nice to go from point A to point done now. Never really like point A. Point A is just sleepy and groggy, Bill. Point done is like I'm ready to roll. 
Starbucks double shot energy to do the things you actually do. Find it in your local convenience store. And since we're here, you heard me talk about it at the top. The Ryan Rosillo's dual threat podcast. Dual threat with Ryan Rosillo. Dual threat with Ryan Rosillo. Dual threat. We're talking about whether people want t-shirts for dual threat. Um, I think we might just make, what do, what do the muscle guys wear at the gym? The cutoffs? Or, or you mean like that? The What would Ryan, what's the most muscle shirt Ryan would wear? I, I don't know if he would, if he'd go as far as the gold's gym, like two He would just wear almost. a medium. He'd wear like a, just a shirt that's too a small. A medium? A medium? Yeah, shirt. he'd wear a medium. We might get Ryan a medium dual threat t-shirt. Stay tuned for that. But check it out. Dual Thread. People like it. It's been really good. And again, mentioned at the top, Halloween Unmasked, our new podcast coming next month. All right, back to Mike and Dan. So did you, was your show a smash hit right away, Dan? This is us. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much right Like immediate of, monster ratings, the whole thing. Big bang. ratings, which keeps doesn't saying monster for some reason. Yeah, big, big ratings, which doesn't happen usually out of the gate. And then it just kind of kept building. And it was like, it was just, it got zeitgeisty really quick. And I remember by like the eighth episode, traveling, I was going to the East Coast to see my family for Thanksgiving. And we'd hit right around then, we were hitting like a real crescendo. And I remember it was on in the hotel in, in Rhode Island, in the hotel lobby of this dinky hotel we were all staying in. And people were standing around like the TV, like kind of glancing up at it. Cause there was like, it was like building towards like one of our answers or twists or something. And I was like, whoa, this is really getting out of control. That's cool. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, but I was like, you know, I was in the midst of like doing all the management stuff of show running and it was, and, uh, like were that, you still making shows when the show was taken off? You must have been, uh, right? Yeah, I was making two. Sh- I I also had a show called Pitch on Fox. Oh yeah, female baseball. So you're player. just working every day, but meanwhile, and this whole thing's happening. This whole thing's happening, and I had like you know I had issues like we all do in our jobs. I was having to let people go. I was having to do stuff like when I think back on that period as the show was blowing up and becoming this once every three year kind of phenomenon. It was filled with just like regular everyday bullshit that I just was like making me miserable and stressed out all the time. Like I have yeah. no, I have no positive memory of that period of time at all. <laughs> what is when you, when you staff a show like that, what's the success rate for people you actually keep? Is it like 60% for writers? Just the whole thing. Like what, what's, what's the accuracy rate of the hires? Cause you're, you're hiring people on the fly and just grabbing people to I, fill I, spots a lot of yeah. the times, right? I mean, I heard a lot of on mine, I heard, a, I heard a lot of young women. Uh, on my show, um, mm-hmm. all of whom, for the most part, are still with us three seasons in. I, I have a very hard time letting anybody go. The problem becomes, it's such a hard job, and if you don't, if people aren't working out and like helping in the way that you need them to help, you're paying people a lot of money, and it's just you're you're being a nice guy, but you're putting so much more on your on your shoulders at a certain point. So. We've had a it's like a high, sports salary cap. It, it's totally it's it's fan, <laughs> it's fantasy football. It's sports salary cap. It's it's the whole thing. So, I have I mean, I, when I have had to let people go in my life, I do it so terribly that like by the end of the meeting, everyone's confused as to what just happened. <laughs> yeah, and like I've had to like like I bring in my buddy to help me because like you know I'm like giving people are walking out. You know, it's just I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. It's a weakness of mine. So yeah, I'd rather just easy. keep people. You've been I, in that position a couple of times, Mike. Yeah, but at this point, also, like, there's enough people who, like, ha- more than, I would say, two-thirds or maybe three-quarters of the writing staff for the good places, just people from Parks and Rec right. who came over. So it was, like, it makes it so much easier. And it, 
there's a problem there too, right? Which is like a new person who wasn't part of that team immediately feels like they just transferred to a new high school or something. Yeah, yeah, They don't fit in. And so you have to be a little bit conscious of that too. And, um, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm not good at that either. I don't, I fortunately haven't had to let too many people go in my life. Like it's generally speaking, people have worked out. You can get a decent vibe, I would say from, from an hour long meeting and personality ultimately is weirdly, it's not more important, but it's just as important as talent. Cause I, it's like, so you're spending so much time with these people and it's intense and it's like a, can be an emotional experience to like be in a creative environment like that. And so it's just like no assholes. It's just the kind of the, the main rule. And we I, talked about this the last time. Yeah. Here. It's that's the biggest thing I learned from Grantland to the ringer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you're around people every day, they have to be people you want just, to be around. Yes. It's like, and if it's, they're talented, that's it's a bonus. Yeah. Both very obvious and also very important. Like, yeah. It's like a, it's a, it shouldn't be a, um, a thing that's hard to accomplish, but it can be, it's hard, can be hard to accomplish and you kind of have to work at it. It's very similar to sports. Like right yeah. now that we're taping this, the Patriots need a receiver and Des Bryant is like, Hey guys, I'm right here. And I'm thinking like, I don't know if we need Des Bryant. Yeah. I would rather just have a mediocre that's receiver. What people who's said not about Randy Moss. I'll just point out people said the same yeah, thing. But, about Randy, but Moss. Randy Moss was the second greatest receiver of all time. And Des Bryant is what the eighth greatest or I something. Know, but did you watch him last year? <laughs> no, I did not. Not a lot of separation. <laughs> we need yeah. the last thing we need is another receiver. I've who can't stopped. Get open. Uh, I don't watch football anymore. I, I I think I told you this, but really? I'm, I'm off the NFL. Yeah. You're out. Did you I'm really out. do that? Yeah. Oh, I thought you, that was like, no, I canceled my package two years ago. Like I, I, I watched some highlights with oh my, my son. God. But, no, I'm out. I'm, I'm straight up out. I was out last year. I didn't watch last year. How do you feel emotionally? I feel so fine. You wouldn't believe it. Really? Like, yes, I feel completely fine. Do you think you would have done this if the Pats hadn't won five Super Bowls and you hadn't climbed the mountain a bunch of times? I I don't know, obviously. But yeah, I think I would have. Because last year, I didn't watch a single Patriots game last year and they went to the Super Bowl. And so like, I and I didn't find myself like freaking out and missing it that much. Like, But I, then you had this weird thing with... The good place with Bortles. Yeah, I know. That, that became kind right. of the best PR campaign I, for your show you could imagine. I paid more attention to Jaguars games last year towards the end of the year than I did Patriots games. This like, is I genuinely would, good for your show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was like a crazy kismet thing where like we had a character on the show whose favorite player was the most mediocre quarterback in the league. And then that quarterback went on a crazy run <laughs> and it was like, it couldn't have been better. It was the best timing uh, possible. So I would like look at Jaguar stats to see what had happened. More almost, I think usually before I looked at like Patriots results, like I would see, you know, I'd watch baseball through September and October. And then like in November, I think I watch football. Makes eight great movies in a row and is getting laid by everybody and just completely loses their perspective. (laughs) This is, we won so many Super Bowls. He's like following Jaguars box scores. Just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get excited about football anymore. Are you out for concussions? You're out for the kneeling? You're out for the combo of all of it? I'm the combo platter. It's Goodell. Honestly, it started with the healthcare issues, which I was just like, these these people are just being ground up into ground chuck. And yeah, disposed of, and it 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 made me queasy for years and years, and I just compartmentalized and overlooked it, and then then a combo plus a double whammy combo platter of um, domestic abuse, the handling of domestic abuse mixed with the insanity of the way the league is run, mixed with the then a, a series of abhorrent decisions and actions by owners, 
like the the Richardson thing that just like got swept mm. under the rug. Yeah. Like that's like that doesn't even register on the list of like terrible things about the league. That's, that's true. Like, oh, gets, that's like a that's like nineteenth yeah. on the list. That guy was a monster. Yeah, and was forced to sell his team, and everyone's just pretending like it's fine. It's he's gone now. Don't worry. Mm. There's a statue of him outside the stadium that yeah. by rule has to stay there. Like these people are monsters, and so I just hit this breaking point of like it was like domestic abuse and the way that they treat the players and the the weakness of the union and the terribleness of the owners and Goodell and deflate gate and just one thing after another. And I was just like, I, I'm out, man. Wow. Can't take him. I wish I had had the strength to do that. Yeah. I remember hitting a point where I was like, you know, it'd be awesome if I just, if I just went all basketball and baseball. I, here, well, and here's just the like, thing. I'm out on football, yeah. but I just, I, gotta I fucking love this. it too much. I got to tell you this though. I was, I, for me, it was baseball number one, football number two, basketball a distant third. Yeah. I dumped football and went hard into the NBA. Great. And now, granted, I like it coincided, luckily, again, with the, the Celtics, new dynasty. With the Celtics yeah. like uh, emerging. But I went to like six or eight Clippers games with my son last year. I took him to Golden State to see war to two Warriors games. Like I went, I bought the NBA package and I was all in on the NBA and had even the, I don't care that the, outcome of the finals was like predetermined. Yeah. I had an amazing year. I had this renaissance with the NBA that I had, I hadn't followed the NBA like that since I was a kid. And I was like, this is so much better. These so you players just transferred it. I transferred my enthusiasm to the NBA and I couldn't be happier. I keep thinking football is going to wear out for me. And then like yeah. Sunday, I watched it for 10 straight hours. <laughs> right. I had such a good time <laughs> right. at gambling and yeah. fantasy and the Brown Steelers was a disaster. Yeah, I've never debacle. gambled or done fantasy. And so my my attachment to it was purely entertainment right. of watching so that, the game. That makes so it I a lot was easier. able to drop it pretty easily. I, I, it's interesting because I've been quietly, like my holy grail, one of my holy grails for TV was always to do a show that I, I had in my brain for years called like 16 Sundays. And it was inside an NFL franchise. West Wing set in an NFL franchise. Ooh. And uh, I've just greenlit the show. Go ahead. And, uh, <laughs> Here's some money. My idea, my idea is, was, is, was you, you know, you spend the week with the team and then the game happens uh, like between the weeks. And then you go back into the football action to learn how, what happened in the game affected the next week of play it plays in structure and time that way. And we got pretty far along this year with the NFL um, or last year into this year talking with them. And I said, well, you're not going to be able to shy away from stuff. And, you know, I wanted to know how, oh, I'm we, sure that went well. how, I, it was early stages. And then we hit a point with the NFL yeah. this past year where I said, we can't do the show. Yeah. I mean, because they're, you know, and it's, it was a bummer for me because I thought if you could really explore the complicated stuff going on inside, not playmakers, not everybody's, you know, shooting up and it's not all of that. It's also like you could, you could have, you know, it's West Wing. It's, it's a romantic look, but also not shying away from the ugly. But uh, I just felt it was just it's it, to even even if they were to allow us to do it exactly as we want to do it, it's a no win situation. Yeah, it would ring hollow unless it, it really got dark. It would seem yeah. unless a it football got really show dark. has to be dark. I think yeah. if it's NFL, yeah, Friday Night Lights like those kind of high school shows. I think there's a little more yeah leeway. You, yeah, there's more leeway and also more optimism and yeah. people haven't been destroyed mentally. And but it's also it's you know it's like it's romantic when it's high school, right? Cause it's yeah, like yeah. part of the romance is these, mo these kids aren't going pro. This is like about a moment in their lives where they're learning how to be adults or whatever. The NFL is just brutal. It's just a brutal, ugly league where people like every Sunday I saw, I was watching Sunday night baseball and I saw on the ticker, it was like t uh, Titans tight end Delaney Walker out for season. And it's like, yep, goodbye. You're gone. You're gone. Yeah. Now you're going to forfeit 80% of your salary. His career might be over. I don't know what happened to him, but 
that you just move on. It's like yeah, the they, Le'Veon Bell thing that's going on right now is yeah, actually a fascinating football yeah. thing because he's like, yeah, you guys are going to run me in the ground this year and I don't have a contract up for this year. So I'm only going to play half the game. So yeah. about that. Yeah, I'll play you can six run games. me in a half. They yeah, and when he plays, he probably and they maybe they won't play him, which would be great for him. But like he, yeah, it's and I, it's like that's what they should all be doing. I think the only way this ends is if they is if the union goes on strike. They have to bring it to a grinding it's, halt. That's going to happen in and, three years. Yeah, and they should and they should just say like their demands should be outrageous. They should make outrageous demands because they have to in order to get anything. They should say like quadruple the salary cap and give us all life health insurance for life and whatever like. Because it's now or never. Like if they don't, if they keep doing these incremental deals, like they're just, nothing's going to end. The red flag for me is that nobody ever sells their team in the NFL. (laughs) Right, right. Like basketball hit a point in last decade, near the end of the decade, when the economics were off and like attendance wasn't the same. And all of a sudden nine teams were for sale, but really like you could get another six too. And like the owners were panicking. They were like, this business isn't working. They just forced the Panthers owner to sell his team and it was immediately bought for two and a half billion dollars. Yeah, immediately. Like, no, those, With these, like seven suitors. Yeah, these people are too smart to to do that unless it's a guaranteed moneymaker. The NBA is like that too. There's yeah. no NBA teams for sale. Yeah, no, it's, But it's, you could get about seven baseball teams right now. <laughs> it's the biggest currency. I mean, these rich guys who have billions and billions of dollars where they'll never be able to spend all of their money is... What well, kind, and the ego yeah. of it too, what kind of, of yeah, being well, the guy in your city exactly. that's like owns this. And the limited inventory, like what other thing in the world is so rare that there's only, there's only 30, 30 of them. So, and there's more than 30 multi-gazillion bazillionaires. And yeah. so they'll never, they're, they're almost pr- at a point where they're going to be priceless because it's just, a, it's it'll it'll become like a- I've boundary. noticed that with the Warriors guy, Joe Lacob, who yeah. was a Celtics minority owner. So yeah. kind of known him for a while. And he's in, you know, San Francisco slash Oakland. Silicon Valley and the people that go to those games are like some of the richest people and most influential people we have. Yeah. But it's his party. Three. He's controlling where everyone sits. Yeah. It's his thing. It's like yeah. he, you're going to his bar mitzvah. He his throws son's 40, bar mitzvah every game. He throws 41 very expensive dinner parties yeah. a year, and he gets to invite whoever he and wants. And everyone has to kiss his ass. Yeah. And you don't want him. And it's like you and, can't buy like, that. Suddenly knowing him. Uh, or even having a casual relationship with anyone who works for him is incredible currency in Silicon Valley where currency is everything. So like the power is overwhelming. Like I can't imagine how anyone remains level-headed when like your fourth assistant is going out to on the weekends and being like, if you want Warriors tickets, I can get them for you courtesy <laughs> right. of the owner. Like <laughs> yeah. that guy is like a big deal in Silicon Valley. Like there are people who are much more powerful than he is ultimately who have to come mm. and come to heal. Like that is, it's, it's like a total Roman glad emperor gladiator thing. Like the guy who runs Apple, Eddie Q, who runs the content side, who sits courtside for the Warriors games. Apple's like a trillion dollar company. Yeah. Yeah. But he's sitting courtside at this yeah. other guy's yeah. Yeah. stadium. Yeah. Three years ago. I mean, another of my like unseen failures, but I, and it led to me breaking from Disney and ABC, but I made a pilot with the Golden State Warriors right as they were rising to dominance. What? Did you really? So I made a pilot, I made a television half hour pilot. I, I loved it too. And it turned out really well. Uh, it was uh, about a early, we shot it entirely in the Warriors locker room and stadium with their full and complete support. It was as Curry was rising to prominence like a year before domination started. And it was about uh, like an African center who's drafted 
and the one like dorky, sweet, all-American kid who's the only person who speaks that language in the in the Bay Area who becomes his translator, navigating life in the NBA and with the Golden State Warriors. It was like a great That's idea. That's a great idea. We shot it in their locker room. Uh, we had a great cast surrounding it. Uh, bizarre people. Ving Rhames was in it. It was, it was crazy. But it turned out really well. It tested through the roof. And then they, and it was like a given. It was going to be their, their new big show on ABC that has the NBA. And we had the Golden State Warriors, who now all of a sudden, as the pilots being made, are becoming this dominant force and this cultural thing. And I got the call the day before the the upfronts, and they said, "Yeah, we're not picking it up." <laughs> and I said, "What are you? What are you talking?" I said, "I'm begging you, please reconsider this." And they said, "Yeah, we're just not sure." And I said, "Guys, uh, this would be such a missed opportunity. Please don't do this." That's amazing. And they didn't pick it up. I did it with Mike Tolan, and. Uh, and, uh, oh, and now I remember, remember this. It? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I walked away from the whole thing. Because Goober point. was involved too, because yeah, he was Goober, one of the men. I remember this. And time. so I had this very strange experience of exactly what we were speaking about, of like being at the games, because we would go up there, to sh we shot during Golden State Warrior games at halftime, just for the pilot. And uh, you would see like the, the green room, the owner's green room was like, it was such luxury. Oh yeah, that, I've been in there. Yeah, that, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's like Barry Bonds is in there with like the head of <laughs> yeah. Oracle and it's just... It's like a who's who. And yeah. the food. Like it's like yeah. it's like literally like you're at the world's like it's the owner's club. It's yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And then like through the glass walls, the players are coming off the court, these iconic players. It's Curry, it's it's you know, Clay Thompson and Durant. And they're walking by the glass walls and they're coming off the court. And like it's, you're almost in this weird it, it's a very strange like gladiatorial like, it's roman like, emperor roman stuff. emperor it really stuff. is yeah. yeah like that the way they sit up on the high boxes yeah. and like and they and they sort of stand and applaud and i i mean there's nothing funnier to me the, i'll tell you what i miss the most what i miss the most about not watching the nfl is shots of jerry jones looking sad <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is the funniest thing son. in the world yeah, yeah it's the funniest thing to, in, do about you think the, do you NFL. think there should be a channel that just shows pilots that ever got made? That'd be great. They, they tried used to that, do didn't that. they? Yeah. Uh, was it Channel 101 or what was it called? Or There was something where they had that idea. to, like, Or like Trio had them? Yeah, there was a show on Trio that was like brilliant but canceled or something. Because I was looking about the audience, the yeah. audience channel on DirecTV. Yeah. yeah. Which is this channel they promote, but I, I never know what's on it other than like Rich Eisen. Yeah. And it just seems like they could just have there, pilots all day. There's a lot like that. I mean, I, my first writing job was on the TV Guide channel where it was the half channel, the bottom half of it was the scroll of what's on television and the top, they just had stuff. Yeah. And I would write this stuff on the top that would just what kind of- What was it? I, I don't, I wrote these things called, um, they were called 90 second biographies. And so you would fly through a celebrity's career with like jokes Amazing. and pictures and wow. they would play it. But I'm always, there's all those channels, like there's gotta be a world for all this stuff that's been made that had famous people before they were famous. Some just, of it's on YouTube. Like I, yeah. I remember that Conan O'Brien show that was only a pilot. With what Jack Black. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The well, motors, no, motors, Cycle one. It, uh, that's Heat Vision and Jack. Vision that's Dan Harmon. Oh, right. The Conan one is the one with with uh, Adam West. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where he was, and uh, that was on YouTube, and that became like a thing it's for a, like two weeks. It's an amazing pilot. It's yeah. so funny. Um, it's where he was a he like thought he was a he was he was like a former he had played former he was superhero. an actor who had played like a Batman like character, and then he had retired, but still thought <laughs> oh, of himself yeah, I do that remember way. This. Um, yeah, but Heat Vision Jack's great too. That's Jack Black and Owen Wilson Owen is the Wilson. voice yeah. of his motorcycle. That's a, you can find that too. That's a great one. Well, Dan did something both of us are jealous of. He actually did a baseball TV show. We did. That's right. This happened. That Pitch. also got canceled. And people liked it. People loved it. It was, that pilot was, was great. I love yeah, the pilot. It was, a, it was a great, great show and we couldn't get traction with it. Um, the problem is you, 
you, you need like at some point the diehard audience and you couldn't figure out what that demo was for that show. Yeah, Everybody a, liked it, but. Yeah, and the reviews were really good. It, it was one of those things, A, we had a really bad time slot on a, and a really bad time. And sometimes it's, it, sometimes that's like literally all that it is. And if we had been on a better time slot and by the nature of it got better of these stupid ratings, which are kind of meaningless nowadays anyway, it yeah. would have been called a hit and that would have self propagated it to success, yeah. I think. Um, I wonder we, if the streaming thing might have helped if it was like three years later too. Maybe because I we, do feel like people discover these shows all the time now. And yeah, the we tried. Hulu we cycle. tried. We didn't have the buyers. What we found with the show, or what I was told, why the show was struggling, was that men didn't want it. men male baseball fans didn't want to watch a show about a woman making it in major league baseball <laughs> and women didn't want to watch a show about baseball that was like how it was broken that's down. tough because there's no other genders yeah as far as <laughs> and i was like well, that, yeah exactly i didn't know what else to do. I, I didn't necessarily agree or buy it but that was what kept being repeated over and over again to us. you know if that show came out now i yeah. feel like it would be more of a cultural yeah. thing because people would be like this is an important show it's a strong female character yeah. this is you know, you're, you're a bad person if you don't watch this. Yeah. I think there would have been. I mean, the thing is, like, who knows, right? Because Friday Night Lights was an immaculate piece of television yeah. and no one watched that show either. Yeah. Like, it hung on because the critical acclaim was so overwhelming that they kind of had no choice. But, like, it it came out of the box and no one watched it. It was in these two, it was between these two eras. It was, like, yeah. literally came yeah. out at the worst possible time. It yeah. was, like, five years later. We're able to catch up on it on whatever, yeah. or five years earlier, the ratings are fine. But yeah, it, yeah, it's I tough. mean, the, the the entire industry is completely changing every three years now. So it's like no one knows. It's like your time. It's like it's all a crapshoot. When uh, when you look back at the writer strike, because it's been ten years. Yeah, I would. I I hated the writer strike. I I just didn't understand it because I didn't feel like there was any way in two thousand eight to figure out any sort of revenue model with anything because nobody. Yeah. could understand streaming digital i could see it at espn like we couldn't even figure out how to read my podcast downloads so it just <laughs> seemed like why do this battle now why not do it two years from now but now looking back Thank with God. how crucial streaming was yeah i, mean, I don't it, know if i was wrong but i but maybe i was half wrong no I don't you know. weren't wrong but you but that was also the attitude of the writers guild was yeah we don't know that's why we have to do this now because yeah. it's like if we don't get a toehold now it might not be a great deal but if we don't establish now that streaming is basically the new way the tv is going to be watched then we'll just keep getting shunted to the side and we'll net those shows not be covered I and mean, if we hadn't struck all netflix shows and amazon shows and hulu shows wouldn't be guild shows right now like it's imagine yeah. just think about 10 years of how much tv is now being made by streaming services none of that all of that money mm. is wga money and if we hadn't gone on strike none of it would be probably that's a I, huge I it was a huge paychecks. win everyone hates everyone hated it at the time and everyone thought like a year later everyone was bitching about it i think it's the best thing the writers guild's done in like a generation because if really we had, yeah because if we hadn't done that Imagine if like right now, if you wanted to work for Glow or Orange is the New Black or or whatever, and those shows weren't covered by the guilt. Like they're but do you th don't you think that would have happened anyway? Who knows? If or not. Or they would have kept pushing us off and people would have kept saying, yeah, we're, it's whatever. It's still not. Like think about Netflix went from having basically two shows, House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. They had two shows mm -hmm. and everyone was like, those shows are really good. You blinked. And they were making everything on television. Yeah. Like you, there is now a new billboard for a new Netflix show or movie or something every Friday, every single Friday. Know, there's a driving new around LA, entire season of yeah. television. And so, like, if we had missed that window 
And we, even if we had gotten all the way to like, well, there's only two shows, so who cares, right? If we had missed that window, all of this stuff would have been not covered, would have been non-guild work. Then that would have sucked. And then they would have been like, well, it's precedent. Now it's the, these aren't guild shows, so too bad. I've almost rear-ended a couple cars in LA <laughs> staring at those Netflix bo- billboards, yeah. being completely confused. Like, Santa Clarita Diet's coming back for season two. Oh, Jim on the brakes. Yeah. Just completely dumbfounded. But yeah, they're just cranking it's, it out. It feels every like week. someone's pranking you. It's yeah. like, what, yeah. what is that now? There's another thing? It's every single It's like Monopoly Friday. money. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I both of you guys are in the same spot where you, you are now like considered to be super successful showrunners. And now there's all this money and all these different streaming things. You must get crazy offers. Or approaches, right? Or am I overthinking uh, this? Yeah, I mean, normally you're under a contract for quite a while. So my, I'm under a deal right now. Um, and then when that's over, I'm assuming that could happen. They, so you can't even <laughs> just come in? You can't even just come in and I, like consult and just get some giant paycheck on some no, show? I mean, I guess you could. I mean, when what time do we have to do any of that? I mean, uh, so I, like I have an employer and... Uh, not, it is what this it, is it, such a diplomatic answer. It, it is a diplomat, but I my, my I have like a four year contract, and then my contract ends in like a year. Oh, because this is season three, right? Yeah, or, but it's more for an overall deal for the like you get a you know you get a deal with the studio. This to, is going to be like the KD free agency. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. We're just talking about a year. A year. No, I just want to tell. Yeah, I don't. Care. <laughs> it's, it's but it's all complicated. I mean, who the hell knows? It's the world's gone. The world's gone mad. Um, and you know so. My bu- my buddy Kenya was just over. I'm friends with Kenya Barris, who created Black, yeah. and just signed one of those mega deals. And I, he was just over a couple of weeks ago. And it's like it's nice when it happens to the nice people because it's yeah. like crazy. And he's now going to be able to not only have like generational wealth, but he'll be able to kind of create a ton of shit and like kind of hire people and spread that. And so you become a business like at that point. Well, Mike used all of his leverage from Parks and Rec to work with his idol Ted Danson. That's right. That was it. I that was in. You were like, I have to do this now. <laughs> this is amusing. Was has it measured up to everything you thought it would yeah, be? Yeah, he's the world's greatest living human being. Like he's uh he's the nicest, kindest person. He's the hardest working person. He has like a um he has an attitude about work that that we should all have at all times, but especially when if you've had a career like his and you still have the attitude that he has, it's it's like uh, it's shocking because he's still he like calls me sometimes on his way home and I'll see first I see on my phone it says Ted Danson and I like <laughs> I assume yeah. this is a joke being played on me and then he and I'll I'll go like oh and, you know pick up the phone and see what's wrong and he's just calling me to tell me that he had fun at work I guess I had a great day today thank That's you great. thank you for writing this script <laughs> so and then unusual. yeah and then you know he he and he's married to Mary Steenburgen and they have like this life that uh, is so it's like if you could, if you could choose your life in the future with your life partner, this is the life you would choose. Like they have this beautiful house near the, near the water. That's like, a, it's not huge. It's not like a mansion. It's like a, it's like a small, but beautiful home on this little piece of property that has like three other structures on it. So that when their kids and grandkids come, they each have little mm. guest houses to stay in. Oh my and they God. have this beautiful backyard with just, they have little dinner parties and they have dogs that run around and they have, they go to, they spend the summer in Martha's vineyard or or Cape Cod or Nantucket or something. And they have a great time there with their kids and grandkids and, and they love working. So they just work all the time and they support each other when they work and they help each other learn lines. It's just this like kind of idyllic 
life. It's like the, as good as life can get, I think. And he's people. one of those guys who, like, by, after about season six of Cheers, never had to work again in his life. Yeah, and he just likes it. He works because yeah. he likes it. And that's, like, ultimately, this job, like Dan was saying earlier, like, the, who has time for this stuff? Like, the job of being a showrunner is very time-consuming, emotionally consuming, like, mentally consuming. And if you don't like it, there's no reason to do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it pays well, I guess that's one reason to do it, but so what, you know, it, it, you, you work ultimately because you enjoy the work and they enjoy the Ted and Mary love working. So like, they don't have to, but they want to, which is like, I, it's like, again, it's like an ideal situation, I think for what in this weird business, what your life could be is that that's what you want your life to be. You want to be 70 years old and still working all the time because you want to be working. Nephew Kyle, did you watch Cheers? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. You're it's 24. Not, it's not your fault. Yeah, it's the show came out 36 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I still feel like, to me, it's still the OG. Yeah. yeah. I still think it's the best crafted sitcom it's, we've ever had. I still think it's the best sitcom, and I still think Sam Malone's the best character. Like, I, I don't think you can beat like it's very hard. like main characters you know there's this yeah. problem in like in um in like uh, superhero movies where the hero is often the most boring character like batman's not as fun as the joker and that kind of thing and in the not, sitcom not in the sitcom equivalent is the main character in the sitcom is often the, not the funniest character like you often have there's a problem because that person male or female needs to be have a be a romantic interest yeah. and it needs to that person needs to be smart and good at his or her job in order to be likable and all that stuff so as a result you often get the main character being the center of the show being less funny than some of the peripheral characters and like the office solved that problem the british office solved that problem by saying we're just going to make the wacky boss who's usually the side character we're going to make him the main character hmm. and it's going to be hard you're not going to like it like <laughs> audiences are going to have to swallow this right. yeah. but it's going to be he's going to be the main character he's going to be the funniest guy in the show and cheers did it without having to make it unpleasant by having the best sitcom actor ever in america in my opinion play the role and also just by designing a character who was had these wonderful qualities he was good at his job and he was a recovering alcoholic, which was like an emotional thing. He owned a bar and he was also incredibly vain and he could be alternately really savvy and really stupid. And like they and just super horny and yeah. super horny. And they just wrapped up all of this stuff and they put it in this like perfect actor vessel. And they that's why it's the best show. It's because it's the best main character. I, I was an only child. He was the most flawed, likable person in my life. Yeah. For like five years. I, I was so invested in his relationship with Diane Chambers. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have my own relationship. I'm like, this is the one I care <laughs> about I right care now. About, yeah, but even the fact that he was able to get you invested in two romantic relationships so severely in the course of the, you know, in the yeah. course of the show was another like testament to to that character. They're gonna remake that show at some point, yeah. and I'm not sure. I hope not. I'm not sure how I feel. About I really it. hope it they don't. Be well I just think it has to be. <laughs> you'd have to change the city and change what he did for a living and. Meaning not have him in, have it in a I, bar, but not being in. I don't think it's player. a remake. I think it's just different. You know, I I would put it in Chicago. I'd make him like a former hockey goalie. I'm and, producing a multicam sitcom that starts at shooting tonight at second episode, um, called Abby's. It's going to be it's a mid season show on NBC. It's in a bar, mm. and ev and every it's an outdoor bar. It's like a woman running a illegal bar in her backyard without a permit, <laughs> and every single decision, not every single decision, a number of the decisions we made were specifically like, you can't do this because this is Cheers. Like right. you can't, 
have like you can't have in fact even the owner being a woman was just like yeah we got to like start from there start fundamentally don't make it and even despite that at the end of the day you sit back and you're like there's echoes of cheers in here because it's so indelible and because well, Kyle wouldn't know he never saw it oh, yeah. that's right do well, Kyle will be fine yeah. yeah how do you how do you do an outdoor set in a multicam is we're it- shooting it outside no shit yeah up on uh, on the back lot at, at Universal it's where they used to shoot Desperate Housewives. So there's real houses. That's and one cool. of them had a little backyard that was big enough for us to like build a set and put like, it's like a 90 person audience or something. Wow, that's cool. And we're actually going to, yeah, we get people blankets so they can stay warm. This is like night. when Spielberg shot Jaws in the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> the outside sitcom. I, I, that's a great <laughs> what idea. What a risk. That's a great idea though, because I mean, I'm obsessed with, I, I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 42. So I grew Me up too. on- Cosby Show and Family Ties and you know all all of those shows as well as well as obviously Cheers, but I've been obsessed with like how does the multicam sitcom stay relevant but also get reinvented just yeah. enough that it can like snap its finger at people to keep people attuned. Like yeah. you've done it with the single, you know, you've done it with the Good Place now, but like what is that multicam form? How do you make a multicam feel like a multicam but not look outdated? And it's it's it looks really cool because yeah. we shoot it only at night because it's yeah. about a bar. Yeah. And at least so far we have in the pilot and it, it's like, it's like kind of warm and, and we set it in San Diego. So there can be people in like, mm. no, you don't have to, you won't have weather problems. Yeah. And who knows, like who knows what the future is, but it feels like fun and interesting. And the cool, cool part was the, everyone on the crew has shot a million multicams and they were all like, this is the first time we've ever done a show outside. Hmm. Like yeah. in like 28 years or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows what the future will hold, but it was, it's like a fun experiment, which is at, at a certain point, again, like you do it because you find it interesting. And I, this seemed interesting. Yeah. So. so you're still dabbling in other projects where somebody wrote the script and you're just hoping them kind yeah. of steer it a little bit. Yeah. Which I'm sure Dan is too, at some level, right? Yeah, we are. I mean, I've taken a little break because I had a film and the the thing, but yeah, I mean, that's the, pl- that's the plan. Yeah. I, I would part- imagine that would be the most fun part of, where you guys are in life that you could just kind of take something that you could see the potential of it or it's 88% there and yeah. give it's three mo- notes and kind of nudge it. It's the most <laughs> fun. No? It's the most fun. It goes, it when the person that's the creative voice behind it is special, that's the best part because then you don't have to, the bad part becomes, I'm sure Mike experiences when it's not going well, a lot of it falls on your shoulders and you're like, yeah. I was here to support somebody else's thing and now this is like taking they're me away from my family at the weekend and yeah. that's problematic. I did a film like, four years ago where I read a book that moved me and I, they had sent it to me, do I want to adapt this book as a film? And I said, I think the writer of the book should adapt. It's, it's really interestingly written. And I worked with this kid who had never written a screenplay before and like got him final draft and kind of showed him like <laughs> how a form and what the hell do I know? And then it went, it was this little movie called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl and it like won the Sundance Film Festival. I saw that. Yeah, and it's like, it was a first time screenwriter I kind of went, I helped a little with the script. I got hired a director, I let him cast it. And then I kind of backed away and came back, you know, for, and it was a beautiful experience. It was like, that's exactly how you dream it would work out. You have, you're giving some people opportunities and then they're, they're like kind of flying. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way and you just wind up with a giant headache. Um, <laughs> and, and something that wasn't something that you wrote to begin with. You're just sucked in. Yeah, you're sucked in and, and, the, and the boss isn't calling the 22 year old kid who you took a chance on because you liked their writing, they're calling the 40 year old producer who's made a bunch of stuff and saying like, we've got a problem, we invested a lot of money and what are we gonna do? And then you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One more break to talk about wagering. I did some wagers at the top. People always ask me for advice. 
usually it's what team to bet on this week or what team not to bet on because I'm not sure everybody trusts me. But you know what? If you think you know you're going to win, who's going to win? You got to check out my bookie. I always tell people to bet with my bookie. The best bet, not only for this season, but any season. They've been in business for years. Great reviews online. Mobile site, easy to use. Not to mention in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Plus, for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Lay down some cash. Win big today. You win, they pay. And by the way, they're slamming with new bettors. They want to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now. My bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Bill Simmons when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. My bookie. Don't forget to use the promo code Bill Simmons when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Back to Mike and Dan. What do you look for when you're looking to help somebody or maybe get involved with the project? Is it the voice or is it the personality? Or yeah, what it's is the it? voice. It's the voice. And then ideally at this point, it's someone who um, isn't yourself. Like that, like I, I've said this before, but I'm a 42 year old white guy from Connecticut. Mm. And I feel like there's nothing left to be said about my experience on earth. Like, it, yeah. exp- like we've covered it. We've, we are good. <laughs> First of all, that's, <laughs> it's not true because now that our kids are on the same travel baseball team, that's true. It's a, that's going to be a new experience. That, well, that's, that's the one area left to be honest. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. the last frontier. <laughs> but uh, it's like, I, I just feel like there's, there's nothing left to be said about the, the white male experience in America. Like we've covered it in every, in every form we've covered working class, middle class, upper class, extreme upper class. We've covered like gay and straight, even at some level, we've covered a lot of the ground. And so at this point now it's a common, it's like voice, original voice, original idea. And then ideally someone who just has a different perspective on the world than me. Like that's what makes ideas interesting. There's a, there's no shortage of, of like people who look like me and write like me in the world, there's a shortage of other kinds of people. And the reason there's a shortage of other kinds of people is because those people haven't gotten the same chances as the people who look like me. And it just seems like a no brainer to kind of like, hey, there's they, the world is more interesting when the when the like panoply of ideas is more diverse and and uh, I think you know. that's why I love Insecure. Yeah, I just go yeah. into this world every week for ten episodes that I know nothing about. Yeah. And this character that I don't have anyone in my life like her. Yeah. I just yeah. want to spend time with her and her friends. And the way that that show, that show, so Prentice and Prentice used to work, Prentice Penny used to work at Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. And he's a great guy and I'm very happy for him. And hit that, that show, I told him this the last time I saw him, that show tumbles out of that creative team so effortlessly. You can just tell, like, I mean, I'm sure it's a struggle in the same way that every show is a struggle, but like that show just like, it's, it's, the the ease the seeming ease with which they're telling the stories gives you this overwhelming feeling which is like these stories have been there all along yeah. these stories have been everywhere in every group of people it, with from every diverse ethnic background and and gender background and everything they've just never gotten to be on TV and it's yeah. like it's such a it it makes me very happy and very sad at the same time because it's like we've missed out on 50 years of stories like this because no one let them be on television and so like that's the at some level, that's the best thing about this crazy world we're living in. With Dan was saying, the world has gone crazy. It has, and there's good parts of that. And yeah. the, the good part of it is like, there's now like Kenya Barris is going to make ten yep. TV shows in the next three years, and that's great because like 
There is a debt. There's a deficit of television shows created by people like Kenya Barris. We got to get out of the hole. We got to like, yeah. we got to make a, we got to pay people to make a million of those shows to just catch up with those stories. I have a young writer on on our show that I'm obsessed with a young woman, Nigerian, the first generation coming over from Nigeria. And in our second episode of the show this season, we dive heavily into this kind of, uh, that she wrote the episode and had kind of the idea for this Nigerian immigrant story in in North Philly, where she's from. And it's a big component of the second episode of the show. And I'm watching the cut of my own television show and going, wow, like I'm I'm watching this a part of the human experience that like <laughs> I've never like I've never been privy to and seen. And it's in my own like weepy NPC like television yeah. show. And it's almost like within the context of our our own show, we're almost feeding people their kind of vegetables in you know what I mean, inside giving people a perspective without them even realizing it. I'm like, oh my God, wait till this girl just has all of her own TV shows and she's gonna have a thousand you know, a thousand yeah. of them. It's exciting. What is you you guys are in different spots with your shows. Your show's like a juggernaut. Yeah. Your show has had this rise up and now has was on Netflix and all these places. It feels like people have either they watched in the moment or they caught up. And I know like my staff is just fired up for season three. All of them are kind of caught up now. That's good. And now you're hitting this season three that I think is gonna be a big season. Yeah, what's, no, what's more fun, protecting the juggernaut or knowing <laughs> that this is going this well, way? There's still potential I've never left. been part of a juggernaut so, that I've created, so I Dan should answer this. Question. Well, I think I mean the grass is always greener, though, isn't it? Because Mike show is also like it's the like inarguably the coolest like show on network television, and probably up there with Atlanta and a couple of others is like uh, critics love it as they should, you know, as they should. And mine is this has this big populist spread to it, which is also exciting. You're almost like you're protecting your lead, almost like <laughs> yeah. with what you have. You have this yeah this massively successful show, but then you just the moment it's not as massively successful, people are like, ratings are down. Yeah. Here well, we go. Well, that's inevitable. I mean, that's going to happen at some point because of the way television is going. It's uh, you can't stay in the zeitgeist for, uh, forever. And so you just have to, I constantly am telling everybody it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen whether it happens this season, next season, the one, you know, one after it's going to happen. Um, he has carbon copy shows out now for, on other networks. That's always a good sign. There's but, uh, an ABC show. It's like, hmm. Yeah. That looks oh, a, million like a, a little, little bit familiar. Things, yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we're not... I, I was stressed out in the sec, going into the second season of the show. Like, I want the show to kind of keep going and keep, keep kind of exploding outward and also, like, remain, like, something that's high quality. Um, do you have, like, an end, end date? Yeah, I do. I'm not going to go too long with it. Like, five years? Around there. Yeah. They don't want that. They want, <laughs> they want, they want to go like yeah, that. I mean, there's, there's possibilities for branches off that are in different ways, but like this particular story for this, you know, for this cast is it. I've got kind of the end game in mind. What do you think the right length for a show is? It's, do you think about this stuff? Oh, constantly. Yeah. It's always show specific. Like the right length for the Big Bang Theory is twelve it's years, forty years. How long? Well, that's how long. It, like it. It's. Uh, it depends on the premise. Like the premise of. Like the, the think about the premise of This Is Us. Now try to imagine what does This Is Us look like in season nine? It's impossible. It's yeah. like you can't write the show the way that it was written or has been written for 185 no. episodes. It won't, it won't work and people will like turn on it because yeah. the, ultimately at, at some point you'll be doing reveals or twists just because you have to because you have to keep going and people will get bored of it because it's, doesn't, it's not designed to last that long. Lost is the first show that did this the right way yeah. where like 
they did this show that captivated America. And then after two years, it was like, now do this forever. Like, do it forever. Because yeah. it's a huge hit and it's great and everyone loves it. So do it forever. And when they got into the mindset of like running in place and like, let's do this forever, the show fell apart. And then they went to the network and said, we need to end this. Because if we don't end it, if we don't know when we're ending it, we're gonna, it's going to stink forever. And they said, okay, great. Here's, here's the plan. Two more seasons, whatever it was, 38 more episodes. And as soon as they did that, the show got amazing yeah. again. Yeah. And they almost lost their audience. And then they got it back. And they got it back because they decided that they had to write an end game. Yeah. And I think about that a lot. Like you, there, you, there, there are some shows like Grey's Anatomy is in whatever it is, season 15. Yeah. ER was like that too. It just ER, yeah, you can do that forever because the central premise is so great. Hospital. And the and the creative team behind it is so great. And they have designed a tone and a vibe and a mood that that matters to people. And in that case, they have an actor who is the center of the show, who's yep. willing to stay on the show forever, bless her heart, because she loves the job and loves playing that character and has said many times, like, this is my favorite thing. I have a show where I'm the star. I'll do this forever. And she's great. And so that show could run for 30 years if it really yeah. wanted to. Yeah. And the people behind it really wanted to. But the, some shows are just like, you know, they're designed to last. Like, well, look at Breaking Bad. Or look at the yeah. Sopra the Sopranos did like 72 episodes or something. Like Breaking Bad did 68 or something. I think Breaking like, Bad did the best job of knowing exactly how many episodes yeah. it was. And now I imagine, had it one episode imagine taking the events of Breaking Bad and saying you have to insert 50 more episodes in the middle of this run mm. I, you every one of us would have stopped watching it because it would have gotten like oh yeah there's a new there's a new drug kingpin great look what's his deal like we would have all gotten sick of it and we would have stopped watching it because they didn't have to do that this it was like in a perfect length and and they yeah. they did it they ended it exactly the way they wanted to and i, I think, think now now every show should do that like yeah. every show should say in a world where you no longer are in a race to 100 episodes to get syndication yep. money and all that stuff, every show should just take a look at its own premise and its own vibe and tone and say, like, this is how many this should be. I shot the end of our series last year already. Like, Did you I, really? Yeah, I shot, like, uh, some of it already. Like, uh, Wow. Like, just, A, to kind of, you know, because it's hard. All the stuff that's not creative gets in the way, right? So you've got, I've now got a cast that can't walk down the street um, anymore. And, you know, you know, they're going to, you know, at a certain point, they'll start getting paid and you want everybody to kind of do, you know, make their money. I have a studio and a network that have invested a lot of money. The show's not cheap. So you want, you know, all the other stuff, all the, I have a group of hundreds of people who work on the show and love it because everybody's kind and they don't want it to end. Right. So you ba have to balance all of that out versus the, the creative, which I think most shows that have the ones you're speaking of that have like a set, uh, like kind of end game I, I think four seasons is the ideal amount of seasons for a television show personally that that something that is kind of plot driven and i'm talking about like a 20 episode a season show like 60 to 80 episodes to me like you don't i don't think you ever need to go much past that but not to bring this back to cheers the greatest comedy yeah. of all time <laughs> but i think there's some good instructions in that show right because that show lasted 10 11? I think 11 seasons. But it's basically two different shows. It's two different shows, shows. yeah. And mm -hmm. they last four years with Shelley Long, and then they hang on for the fifth year, which mm -hmm. wasn't as good. And then it obviously just could have ended, but instead they blow up the show, new female lead. They give Kelsey Grammer, he gets more shots. Yeah. They start to, they develop more characters. Yeah. And it's funny, I was talking to Curry about this. I did a podcast with Steph Curry last month. 
And we were talking about how the biggest mistake the Warriors made last year was they kind of just brought everyone back. They didn't have like, hmm. hey, this year Frazier's on the show. They didn't have like <laughs> Frazier. Frazier. And like Boogie Cousins is Frazier. Yeah. It's like, whoa, who's this guy? Whoa, yeah. he's got some good lines. Yes. And it kind of gives you a new juice. And I think Cheers was the best at that. Whereas like one of my favorite shows ever is Miami Vice. <laughs> They never added anyone to the show. Yeah. It was like the same thing, same premise. They would change John Johnson's hair. And <laughs> but they never they never figured out like, oh, we need our Giancarlo Esposito right. for one season and then we'll kill him off. And they just didn't do it. So I think there's I mean, think about Cheers like in addition to yes, there's a Shelly Long, there's a, a show about a a like vain former ball player who falls in love with a like snooty academic and that Who show lasted, in common. Yeah, that show lasted four or five seasons and then there's a new show about a if a man whose whose vanity is totally not in keeping with his fading physical <laughs> looks yeah and who's who is like trying desperately to get a woman a professional woman to sleep with him and who can't because she's uninterested because he's like past his prime and that show lasted like seven years and they're both great shows but also think about the fact that like they had Woody Harrelson and Kelsey Grammer and BB Newworth and uh, and Rhea Perlman, like they had they had a bunch of people on that show who could have easily left and been the center of their own show, yeah. and yeah. who did they either become movie stars or you know or the centers of their own shows, and like that at some level is it's the same thing with the Warriors. Like if the Warriors broke up tomorrow, their five best players would all become the number ones or maybe number twos, I guess on. NBA teams and they'd be decent teams. Like, yeah, remember when Woody was on White Man Can't Jump? <laughs> and it's like, oh, that Woody got a movie. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, and then yeah. it's like, oh, Woody's a movie star. Oh, he's a movie yeah. star. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It didn't and so, like, if fully you realize think it. about like you think about like the power of that cast, if you think about the power of the This Is Us cast or the Parks and Rec cast or like these casts of these shows that are that where the ensembles are truly great, like the the way that you know they're great is you could if Parks and Rec had ended after season five. Any one of those, the main eight people on the show would have gone off and had their own show developed for them. And the same is true yeah. of This Is Us. The same is true of, of, you know, the same is true of like Modern Family, probably in the, you know, at some point in the middle of that run. Like that's that's how casts are great is they're great because you have a bunch of number ones on call sheets playing the roles of like the number six on a call yeah. sheet. And it just adds this incredible depth and richness to the show. Social media we didn't talk about. Let's talk about it quickly. Yeah. Um, because this is the last 10 years. This has kind of changed um, how people consume shows, how people write them. Do they pay too much attention? What is your process with social media? Um, I'm probably in between a little bit. I mean, I, again, because I've never had done it before our show. The show hit a zeitgeist kind of thing where I was kind of, when we would have a big moment in the show, I would go on and I'd put in like on Twitter, like the hashtag, this is us, and see what people are writing about it just to see how people are responding generally. Yeah. I, I I probably don't read as as much as some people because it just you you can't win. I mean the internet is so vitriolic now and it's so I, you can't win by looking at stuff anymore. So I try and get a sense, especially when we're doing a big moment. But then I try and turn it off. My writers, I think, read a, and actors read a little bit more. Than <laughs> you got to manage that, right? Yeah, Be you like, hey, guys. well, what you don't want to happen is you know. When we have a very lovable show and characters have to do sometimes make mistakes and be flawed. And you don't want one of your actors starting to say like, hey, everybody hated when I did that yeah. because they're supposed to hate when you do that. And so, but our cast isn't like that, but you just, it, no good has come from reading people writing stuff about your stuff on the internet. I just don't think that there, in my opinion, that any good has ever come out of it. 
Like, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Uh, I I stopped looking at the internet, at internet reviews of my shows a long time ago, like late, late seasons of Parks and Rec, and I haven't. I, I will read sometimes clips if they get sent to me by people at NBC or something. They're like, hey, read this. You'll like it. I'll go like, all right. Like if it's a pre if it's pre-approved and not yeah. so I know it's not like a weird negative screed or something. But I also think there's danger in that. Like yeah. you don't want to read too much good press in the same. You don't want to read too much bad press. I much like the NFL a couple of weeks ago, I decided to take an extended Twitter break, too. I, yeah. I walked away because of the way that the people who run Twitter seemed to be kowtowing to Nazis and Alex Jones. And uh, I was like, I'm, fed, I'm just fed up with this. I don't want to participate in this anymore. I don't like this this weird way that like you're bending over backwards for these terrible people. And then like a week later, Alex Jones said one mean thing to Jack Dorsey in Washington, DC, and he was immediately banned from Twitter forever. Right. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I haven't gone back yet, but, um, but I, I, I think Twitter is like 14% good and 86% terrible. And I yeah. like, I indulged way too much in the good. I, I relied on the good part of it too much and i and it made me overlook the part of it that's terrible and the good part of it is like you get instant news and you can follow comedians that you like and people tell good jokes and yeah. if you are inclined to see how people are reacting to something you can check it out but i don't right now and i'm sure my feeling will change i've done this before i took like a six month break once i took a three month break once like i, I don't i'm not making like a giant soapboxy proclamation about the overall value of this thing but I think it's important every once in a while to just walk away and and like get your news from other sources. I really enjoy Instagram. <laughs> Everyone does. Instagram just is like pictures, the only. Pictures. It just so makes me happy. All the young people yeah. on our yeah. on our writing staff. The only thing they do is Instagram. They all like they're they've like Twitter. Who cares? This yeah. who cares? That who cares? Instagram. They're all and like they'll constantly. I don't understand how they do it, but they'll be like, "Did you see the thing that like Cardi B's sister yeah. posted or what?" They all are. They're, they seemingly are they following follow 900 people, but see people, everything. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Have you thought, how old is your oldest kid? 10. So have you been monitoring how he uses? Because our kid, our sons are the same age. He's totally uninterested in like, he he loves, he likes watching YouTubers. He watches like basketball YouTubers. Like, yeah. There's a, there's a kid named Lost and Unbound. Do you know that guy? He's like an Oklahoma City Thunder fan who's a YouTuber, is a vlogger. My son was obsessed with him and just watched every. He like somehow gets like there's videos of this kid who's like I don't know 23 or something, sitting courtside at every in every stadium and like really? playing one on one with mm. Durant and like it's crazy. Like well, he's, there's the, there's those guys who do the trick shots whose names I'm blanking on. Uh, that my uh, kids, dude, perfect, dude, perfect. Dude perfect. My kids <laughs> love dude, perfect. <laughs> my I took my son to a World Series game at uh, Dodger Stadium. Oh yeah, dude, year. perfect was dude there. Perfect I remember was that. there, and he was like he's the biggest Dodger fan in the world, and he was like. That's dude perfect. Like he yeah. like couldn't handle himself. Jeez. I do yeah. wonder if we're heading toward a world where when that generation grows up, there are no traditional TV shows. It's just like oh. people playing pranks on each other. Well, have we talked about that? I feel like we talked about this last time maybe, but there was a survey done like a year ago where they asked, I think a thousand kids between the ages of nine and 14, who is the most, oh, it was two years ago because it was right at the end of Obama's presidency. Yeah. And the question was simply, who is the most famous person in the world? And I guarantee you would not recognize any of the answers. Wow. And the top ten, was all Obama the was Paul, like Logan Paul eleventh. It was yeah. all lo it was all YouTube celebrities and like vloggers and stuff. And I saw that and I was like, "This is wow. the end. This is the death knell of the thing that we do." But isn't because isn't the screen on the wall going to remain a thing? Like no matter what, even if they're watching something that we don't understand, like isn't the commu I sure hope. I mean, 
maybe I I just can't fathom. Well, the difference though is that all right. So when you were ten, you're watching Cheers and Family Ties. Yeah. Our kids are ten and they're watching Dude Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So all like a lot of the lessons you learned about what structure on a TV show and yeah. how to develop characters is because you were watching those great shows when you were a kid. That's true. Yeah. The, and I, the I do worry about not it. seeping in. But they the don't, brain. your kids, yeah. I don't have kids. Your kids don't sit and watch like the equivalent of like America's Got Talent or The Voice or any of those shows. No, they watch guys. like, they, my kids like really like Jesse and show those. Yeah. My right. daughter loved those Jesse. Disney type targeted shows. She's now moved on though. She'll now watch like, my daughter's eight and she watches like, she watches like grown up shows. She watches the show The Middle. She loves The Middle. Mm. Oh, interesting. On like, on like repeats. And she, they're now old enough too where they're semi interested in what I do and what my wife does because my wife is a writer too. My daughter is big into pop culture. She's come on this pod a couple of times to do like her pop culture watch, oh, but she's fine. the Netflix movies are her big obsession right, right now. Right. Cause Netflix, it took a couple of years, but they just, whatever algorithm spat <laughs> out sure, and they were just like, Hey, this is an inefficiency, 12 to 18 year old girls. And now they're just making movie after movie for them. And it's smart. And yeah. that's what her and her friends talk about. We should Netflix. plug your movie really quick before we go. Uh, Life Itself, September 21st. Uh, Oscar Isaac, Annette Benning, Mandy Patinkin, Antonio Banderas. Olivia Wilde. Uh, Olivia Wilde, Olivia Cook. Um, it's, it's a terrible a big cast. cast. Big it's cast. A, a Jesus. Uh, we just premiered in Toronto. We had a really, I was telling you before, we had a, we had such an unusual, I had like genuinely the most unusual weekend of my career, which was uh, the movie, I think the movie's really I, it's my favorite, like my favorite thing or one of them I've ever worked on. I've been screening it for a year for like really heavy duty filmmakers and people in the, in our industry and, and at movie theaters, Barbara Streisand, Warren Beatty, like all, you know, Whoa. all these people. And I feel like we have, you know, when you feel like you have it, we premiere in Toronto, we got like a five minute standing ovation. It's like <laughs> one of those things. And then like the seven critics who were there just came out and just like are coming after it hard. No they're, way. They're, they're coming after the, this is us of it and the sentimentality and the, the amount of tragedy and laughter. I, I don't, I don't, they like didn't get it. Is and it, is of, it, um, uh, is it like similar in tone to this is us? Like, is it's it a, much darker and, okay. and, uh, but, but it has that something of it. It plays, it does a lot of things. I think that the critics come after it plays in structure it plays in it it plays in narrative structure and with unreliable uh narratives consciously and it's got a lot of darkness in it and then ultimately end a lot of like uplift and hope and people are really crying and so they're coming after the crying and i <laughs> but i don't i think it's going to balance out but the movie's really good i think people i've been screening it for a year and people love it so i'm excited about it i'm excited for his move against the grain to not be pigeonholed as the this is us guy where it's just like yeah. breaking bad multiplied by 19 <laughs> some I, show I, you I, I don't think i have that in some me crooked cop. i know i i find yeah i don't i god knows i don't the movies are always confound me a little bit but crooked nfl owner <laughs> You have a lot of lot of material to pro, use. Yeah, pro concussion NFL owner. <laughs> so you're not going to read the Good Place Day on the Ringer, because I think that might happen. Really? Yeah. Uh, the staff is no. pretty pretty obsessed with getting more attention for this show. All right. That's, I just I, mean, I just I'll saw a thing that. online that I I shouldn't be reading, but uh, TV Guide called Good Place the the number one show of all shows. On I just television. got sent that. That cable, was awesome. Half hour hour long cable drama. They called it number yeah. one. Yeah. We were number nine. <laughs> not, not that i was looking <laughs> yeah that was cool they it, they uh the marketing the pr people sent me a press release it's a cool it. it's, really it's a cool. good press release what are the yeah. ads we could get me you and dancing on a podcast pretty good like you know, three to he, one you know he went to stanford to play basketball that was his that he went what? like yeah and then he he didn't play he i think he got injured or he maybe he 
I can't remember what the story is. What do you he think was, he was like a small forward? I think he was a small forward. Yeah. I mean, remember this is like the fifties or something or like the, you know, sixties. He just blew remember. my mind. Yeah. But yeah, he went to Stanford on a basketball scholarship. So um, maybe the, so I'm saying not, but the ads are, odds are good. We will pitch you our sitcom about our travel baseball team. That's it. I like it. It's just, I'll it's find just the a dark, lot I'll of like people darkness. moving uncomfortably on metal benches for <laughs> double headers. Do we, neither yeah. of you guys coach. You let you. No, you're I, not coach. I am an adjunct coach. I would say I run. I am the official scorekeeper of the Got team. It. I run the. But you're uh, the, burying the lead though. What? He's kind oh. of the commissioner of our entire. I'm the commissioner oh, really? of the rec league. Oh wow! Yeah, he took so. over from Mike O'Malley. Oh wow, that sounds like an awful, awful thing to. It's not. Do. It's no? it's. Oh. There's a lot. It's a vol. It's a rec league. It's a park sure. rec league. So there's a lot of parents doing a lot right. of volunteering. I'm only the commissioner for our age group. Momali was like the main guy. I'm the commissioner of like our age division, which will be 11. Got it. Next year, yeah. Mike's the right guy to do this because the if the parents get a little snippy or whatever, yeah. like they know deep down he's taking notes for like some character <laughs> of the show. Nobody wants to end up on a show just getting same name. annihilated or some pilot. Yeah. It's good. You'll I do should a great bring, job. I should bring like a little moleskin notebook with me to the field. <laughs> just every time someone mouths off, just write something down. That'll keep them in line. It's going to be sad when we're sitting on these metal benches in October watching Red Sox playoff games <laughs> on our on our iPhone pretending to care about our kids. <laughs> Great job! <laughs> Your son just said, oh, yeah, cheering, cheering inappropriately and cursing inappropriately. Yeah, I can't wait, guys. Thanks for doing this. This, this was, was fun. great. Thanks, thanks it. man. All right, thanks so much to Mike and Dan. Thanks to Joe House for not showing up this week and giving us terrible picks. We might have him back next week. I don't know. He's suspended for a week for talking me into uh, throwing the Redskins into a tease last week. It was a one-game suspension. He served it. Maybe he's back next week. I don't know. Thanks to Starbucks Double Shot. Starts with bold Starbucks coffee blended with milk for a smooth, creamy, delicious flavor. It's enhanced with ginseng, guarana, and B vitamins. It's the kind of thing around four o'clock in the afternoon when you need a little bump, like I do every four o'clock as I'm about to hit 49 years old. Just shoot me. Starbucks Double Shot. It's energy to do the things you actually do. Find it in your local convenience store. Don't forget to check out theringer.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Halloween Unmasked. Don't forget to cheer on nephew Kyle, Tom Shady 300. How many Twitter followers are you up to? Uh, probably like 11 or 12. Might be so 12 a week now. ago, you were at 1,500. Yeah. And now you have a tattoo. Yeah. You got a tattoo. We talked about that on Monday. And a bunch of other places. You're single? Yeah. You got another tattoo? No, no. A bunch oh, of you, other places. You want a tattoo media tour? Yeah, people are. You're not going to do anything crazy this week, are you? I got No, no. It's not a pay week, so it's I'm not going to do anything dumb until next week. All right. Well, some person who a person who is going to do something dumb is my wife who's in Boston this weekend. Uh, if you see my wife, don't buy her a shot. Just don't. She's with a bunch of her friends. Just stay away. If you see a bunch of like good looking LA moms, don't buy them drinks, please. Enjoy the weekend. See you Monday.